the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick D podcast. I'm your host Nick DeGilio. Welcome. You're at radiomisfits.com. You're at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, which is the best podcast network in the world with a ton of varied and interesting and informative and funny and entertaining and fantastic podcasts available here at radiomisfits.com. Please take the time to like and share and rate and review us and give us all feedback at radiomisfits.com. Happy to be a part of the family at Radio Misfits. I have another podcast here uh, in addition to this one. It's a Saturday Night Live podcast that you should check out, especially if you are a fan of Saturday Night Live. Uh, It's a weekly podcast. Uh, New episodes drop every Wednesday. It's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I'm the host having a great time doing it. This week's uh, new episode is all about uh, the time a seven-year-old hosted SNL. Yes, yes. I mean, it was Drew Barrymore, and it was right after E.T. came out. But she was seven and still the youngest person ever to host the show. Uh, we talk about that and much more. Uh, uh, Squeeze was the musical guest, only time they were ever on the show. And uh, it's, it's notable for another reason. It was the show where they did a live uh, call-in as to whether or not uh, they should keep Andy Kaufman as a regular, you know, semi-regular guest on the show. Anyway, that's all there. You should check it out. It's a really, I have an, I'm having a great time doing it. We're 10 episodes in, and you should subscribe at, uh, at, at radiomisfits.com right now, too. That show hasn't been funny in years. This is episode number 124 of the Nick D Podcast. And coming up, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, they join me. We are the movie critic guys. Every other week I talk to them. we got some movies to talk about. We're actually going to be talking about a movie that doesn't open until next week. But, uh, you know, they, they sometimes give us um, uh, a rule you know, uh, uh, there's an embargo where critics can't talk about a movie until like a couple of days before or three or four days before the movie comes out. Even though we see the movies, we see the movies usually three weeks ahead of time, sometimes a month ahead of time, a couple of weeks ahead of time usually. And then the studio tells us, well, there's an embargo. You can't talk about this movie uh, until the week it comes out or three or four days when it comes out. They give us a date, which I've always found very weird, especially if you like the movie. I've talked about this uh, on the last episode. I always find it really weird when the when the PR people in the studios are all like, no, you can't talk about the movie, blah, 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 until the week it comes out or a couple of days before it opens. It doesn't make any sense because, it's, I mean, I can understand if you hate the movie, you want us to shut up. But if you love the movie, don't you want people to get excited about it and you can talk about it? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, the embargo has been lifted for a, a, a big movie that's coming out next Friday, the 24th, not today, next Friday, the 24th. And next Friday, uh, Eric and Steve are not on because they're on every other week. So we're going to do a special quick, uh, not a quick, but a special um, review of a movie that we can talk about 
and uh, we'll tell you what that is. So that's coming up. Esmeralda Leon will join me in uh, the third segment of the show. We got a magic megaphone message, and if you have a message you want me to say into the megaphone or some sort of, like, you know, joke or line from a movie or anything you want or a proposal, anything you want me to say into the magic megaphone where it goes out into the ether and everybody hears it, Tell me whatever you want me to say, and I'll say it. Email me, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Say this to the magic megaphone, I want that. Also, anything you want to say about the podcast, we want feedback. Nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Voicemails on, we fully encourage you to call the voicemail line anytime you want. It's open 24-7. We want to hear from you. It's open to you. Call voicemail now, 773-417-6948. If you want to be a sponsor on this podcast, we reach a lot of people. You want to advertise with us? Just send a note and say, hey, I want to advertise. I want to be a sponsor on the Nick D Podcast. Sales at radiomisfits.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the audio and the sound. And in addition to um, the Magic Megaphone with Esmeralda, we've got more myth-busting celebrity rumors that we're going to do. And we've been, uh, we just started taste testing some Mexican candy. So that's all coming up and much more. But most importantly, you need to come out to Zany's on Tuesday, March 28th. The showtime is at 7.30. The doors open at 6.30. We are doing yet another, our fourth Nick D podcast live event at Zany's in Rosemont, the greatest comedy club of all time. Unbelievably easy to get to. There's a parking lot. The parking facility is fantastic. Free parking. There are restaurants and bars all around the area where Zany's is centrally and beautifully located in downtown Rosemont. You got to come and check it out because on Tuesday, March 28th, in addition to me and Esmeralda on stage, in addition to giving away really cool prizes like dinner from the greatest restaurant on the planet, Gale Street Inn, you want the best ribs ever? You want the best meal you ever have? Well, we're going to give you some of, some of that stuff to give away. Uh, we got to give away, and that's at galestreet.com. We got Nick D Podcast t-shirts and other really cool prizes that we're going to be giving away. We're going to be doing trivia. We're going to be telling funny stories. We're going to be interactive with the audience. It's all going to be recorded. Uh, and you will be part of a live podcast recording where we always talk to the audience and have a good time and share our stories and laugh our asses off. And in addition to it being unbelievably entertaining, and in addition to my 81-year-old father, who you hear on this podcast regularly, getting up on stage and telling jokes at the end of the show, which he's done now every time we've done it, and it kills. So in addition to all of that fun and hilarity and giveaways and comedy and awesomeness with me and Esmeralda, the special guest that night is the one, the only, an absolute legend, Rich Coase, a.k.a. Sven Gulli, is going to be there live. You will meet and get to talk to, and we will interview a long interview. We're going to talk to him for over an hour. It's going to be a fantastic interview. And uh, Rich has only been doing this for 44 years. Sven Gulli himself will be on stage with us. You cannot afford to miss this show. It's one night only. It is, when, it is, it is Tuesday, March 28th. Okay? Tuesday, March 28th at Zany's in Rosemont. Rich Coase, a.k.a. Sven Gulli, on stage with us. It's going to be amazing. Get those tickets now. You can call the box office at 847-813-0484. Say, I want my tickets for the Nick D Podcast Live on March 28th. Or you can just go to rosemont.zanies.com. they got a calendar, and our event is there. Just look up the Nick D Podcast Live event. We do it monthly. It's a monthly thing now. We're going to be doing it every month, and we get a lot of repeat customers and people who are really part of the club now. We've got a club going and we want you to be a part of that and come out every single month. Every month we do incredible stuff, have a lot of fun, record the whole thing, and we have special guests each month. We've had amazing special guests in the past, and now the incredible Sven Gulli, Rich Coase, is going to be there. He will not be in costume. His alter ego, Rich Coase, will be there. 
So, but anyway, uh, a chance to like meet him, be in the same room with him, hear incredible stories. I'm incredibly excited just to, to, to interview him. He was the very first guest on this podcast uh, also. The very first guest on this podcast, episode one. You can go back and check it out. They're all uh, archived uh, at RadioMisfits.com. But anyway, Tuesday night, March 28th, 7.30 showtime, 6.30 doors open. Zanies in Rosemont. Get those tickets now. They're going to go. You can't miss Rich Coe's live in that room. It's going to be amazing. So 847-813-0484 or Rosemont.Zanies.com. March 28th, Rich Coe's Sven Gulli live with us for the Nick D Podcast live event at Zanies and Rosemont. Get those tickets now. We're so excited about it. It's going to be so much fun. Let's pack the place and have a great time. We'll see you all there. All right. Eric Childress and Steve Procopi are my movie guys, and we are going to talk movies after this. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Yes, I know. We, I Hi, know. I'm Carrie Russell, and I, I love Nick's show. She still loves my show. She still loves me, despite the fact that I hated Cocaine Bear. And by the way, so did Eric, and so did Steve. <laughs> no, actually, Steve didn't. Steve kind of liked it. What the hell is wrong with Steve? Well, let's find out. All right. Congratulations. Here comes Eric and Steve. Congratulations. Did I say congratulations? Because I meant it. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jackal. And that means it's time for movie reviews, which we do every other week on our Friday show here on the Nick D Podcast. Eric Childress and Steve Procopi are my uh, co-critics here, uh, and uh, we uh, love to, to talk about all the new movies and all the new movie stuff. And we have a lot to talk about this week, uh, and a, a big uh, film and music festival just ended, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But let me first say hello to the guys. First, Eric Childress. Hi, Eric. Hello. And uh, Steve Procopi. Hello, Steve. Hello there. Hey. All right. Uh, Eric, tell everybody uh, where they can read you and hear you and see you and all that stuff. Yes. Uh, the Over at the Now Play Network, uh, two podcasts, one, the Movie Madness podcast that uh, Steve Procopi uh, and Peter Sobzinski are regular guests on. Uh, we do movie reviews and Blu-ray uh, talk and some other things sometimes. Uh, and then the, the Friendship Dilemma, which I co-host with Morgan Geyer, where we talk about uh, the way that movies handle friendships between male and females uh usually for the worse but sometimes for the better okay uh and that's it now playing as well yes okay uh and uh by the way steve and i are going to be recording for a now it's on now playing right steve the the podcast yeah oh yeah Director's, the director's Club, club. Yeah. Director's Club. Jim's We're, podcast yeah mm-hmm. jim jim uh, laskowski's podcast steve and i are going to be talking about paul thomas anderson post there will be blood Right? Right. Yes. Right. Okay. The last right. four movies, right? The last his last four films. So we'll talk about that. And when does that is that gonna we're recording that this weekend? Does it drop uh, at the beginning of the week then or something like that? Usually a couple he usually days. Turns after. them around pretty yeah. quick, yeah. All right. Yeah, so, yeah. All right. so sometime early next week. We're recording it this weekend, sometime early next week. You can hear that uh with me and Steve and Jim talking about uh the last four Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Uh so mm-hmm. there you go. All right, cool. Uh Steve, tell everybody where they can read you and hear you and see you and all that. Yes, uh, I'm. My written reviews are at 
thirdcoastreview.com and then uh i'm also on the now or on the, the movie madness podcast with eric every week and then yeah just spending a lot of time at the music box so yes yes at the music box where a lot of stuff has been happening and continues to happen yeah. um so awesome awesome stuff okay cool we uh the, the south by southwest uh fest happened uh and uh, eric you actually went down to uh to austin uh, yeah, my first, first time part, in four years. First time in four years, uh, yeah. because well, a lot of it had to do with the pandemic and that's and, true and, and all of that shit. Um, and uh, and Steve, you covered some of it from here because uh, uh, they do send out links for for people to watch the movies to cover to do coverage on South by. So you guys saw some of the movies, and Correct. Eric, you were you were actually there. How long were you there, Eric? Uh, I was there from Friday to uh, Wednesday, so okay. five full days there. Yeah. How many movies did you see in those five days? Oh, I didn't do an actual count. I saw, I think I actually saw more movies before I got there than actually I did in town. I saw a lot of uh, screening links and stuff. So I saw a lot of movies at South by probably over 40. Okay. Well, Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and, and Steve, you saw a few uh, via the links. You didn't go to Texas, yes. but you saw a few of them. All right. Correct. And I not nearly as many as that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, one that we're going to review here. Um, that actually premiered at South by Southwest is uh, John Wick Chapter 4. And um, I've talked about this and how sometimes it's ridiculous it is that uh, the PR people and the studios give us an embargo where we are not allowed to talk about a movie uh, until a specific day and time uh, where they give us permission to talk about it. And I've always thought that that made no sense, especially if you like the movie. I've always thought that it just made no sense. Uh, I can understand right. why why they want to keep me from talking about the new fucking Zach Braff movie. Um, I can understand why they don't want me to talk about that. But uh, uh, you know, like when 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 a really great movie and we can't talk about it, I find that kind of fr- <laughs> I just never understood that. I'm like, can't you just tell the PR people, look, if I do mention it, it's going to be in a positive way, so it's good. I've never understood. Well, now that. Yeah, now they have the two different embargoes where you have a social media embargo where you can say something online quick and then later on you, when you want to do your full review, uh, you can talk about it later. Right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so there's that. Uh, but but, uh, but I, I just find it weird that, like, there's an embargo on movies that we like. I don't know why that – I mean, like, if you don't like it, don't talk about it is what they should say. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it, you know, because if it's good, if it's a good review, why don't you want to hear about it as soon and as often as possible? It doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, the John Wick Chapter Four embargo was up because it premiered at South by, um, and you saw it there, uh, Eric. Were you there when when Keanu showed up and all that stuff? Oh yeah, I have video. Oh okay, all right. So uh, Keanu <laughs> Keanu showed up and uh, and uh, they screened it for us here in Chicago, us unprivileged here in Chicago. Uh, a couple of nights later or a night later or whatever. Um, so we'll talk about uh, John Wick, which uh, happens to be released next week, which is one of the weeks that you guys are not on, and it's a big movie, uh, and so we want to review it this week. So we're going to do that, make sure that people know uh, how fucking great it is. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Spoiler. Uh, uh, yeah, well, fine. what am I going to do? Be quiet about it? Jesus Christ. So uh, so South by, uh, all right, Eric, give me a few titles uh, that, that you liked or that you saw. And, uh, and, uh, and then, Steve, give me a couple of titles uh, really quickly. Um, now, of, of those 40 movies, how many of them mm-hmm. were worth seeing? How many of them were bad? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, of the 40 movies I saw, which includes little features and documentaries and whatnot, I say, you know, probably, you know, like around 45 
percent were probably good or noteworthy. Um, and uh, the ones that I saw in town, I'm only going to talk about a couple of ones that I that I really liked. And one of them is a movie that actually I became aware of thanks to your podcast, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you had on uh, the great David Desmalchin uh, uh, some time ago, good uh, he dude. talked He's about a, a good dude. He is a very good dude. He talked about a movie that he had coming out called Late Night with the Devil, where he plays a 70s talk show host that's sort of competing or trying to compete desperately with Johnny Carson. And uh, we get sort of a prologue about his life and how the show has gone. And he gets to a point where he starts having, kind of changes the direction of the show where he has on like members of like who are involved with like the occult. So people who can, you know, summon the, the dead, you know, mind readers, that kind of stuff. And also people who debunk that kind of stuff. And the movie takes place over the course mostly of one show that he's recording that has on uh, a debunker and uh, a, a mind reader uh, and also a young girl who escaped from a cult, the only survivor of a cult, uh, who may in fact actually have the devil occasionally or a demon occasionally inside of her. Uh, and so we watch this all trans, uh, you know, transpire and it's really funny. Uh, Desmalchin is so good in this movie. He's been so good in supporting roles and you know me- big and meaty ones over the years. But it's great. We've no- and we've known this for years how great this guy is. Yeah. But to see him in an, on a leading role and get a chance to shine the way he does in this and to create a real interesting character uh, and a funny one that also then turns into a whole creep fest that it works very well. Uh, I like Late Night with the Devil very much. Okay. And uh, yeah, Steve, I know Steve, you've seen Steve, it. As you well. saw it too, yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was great. I, I actually, as much as I enjoyed the horror elements of it, I actually really liked the way they built up, established his character because he's supposed to be a guy who had a talk show that was opposite Johnny Carson, and so he's like, and but he's always like, you know, coming in second, of course, in the ratings, and so this this stunt of having this possessed girl on the show is supposed to be a ratings booster because the show is, you know, in danger of getting Mm -hmm. canceled. And so there's a lot of like very period. uh, I think it's supposed to be in the seventies period stuff. Um, There's also, I mean, it's also technically, it's like a faux documentary and, um, but it's, it's not, I wouldn't even say it plays as comedy, although there's some very funny stuff in it, but um, I like that. They're, they're supposed to be like this behind quote unquote behind the scenes footage between the actual aired segments, but it's clearly just, I mean, they're getting access to things that would never be a part of a documentary. They kind of throw the documentary part of the film out the window in those moments, but it doesn't matter. It's, t- it's so good. It's so funny and so well done. Um, and I, it's weird. It's fun just to watch Dust Malchin play, like a guy who's trying to be mainstream and not like weird and quirky. He's, he's in another, I think a pretty good movie that's coming out this week. Um, he has a sort of a pivotal supporting role in the Boston Strangler film. That's going to be on uh, Hulu. Um, and there he's plays like leaning into the weird and the creepy. This is like, this is like a very mainstream um, normal character in, in many respects. And uh, and I like seeing him be like a broadcaster. It's kind of it's very cool, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't wait to talk to him about it. Actually, yeah. so anyway, but yeah, it's a, it's a terrific is, little film. Is it picked up by anybody? Does it, is the studio having it? Not, not yet. No, we're yeah. still waiting for that to happen. But it it, it will. Someone's going to grab this thing because it really is that good. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, um, and we'll hear more about that because we know the mm-hmm. guy, so uh, it'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll happen. Okay, uh, what else did you see uh, uh, while you were there, uh, Eric? Uh, well, so speaking of comedies, uh, there's a, a new film that premiered called Bottoms. That's the new film from uh, Emma Seligman, who did Shiva Baby uh, a couple of years ago with Rachel Sennett. And this one has Rachel Sennett and uh, Ayo Adabiri from uh, TV's The Bear, yeah. Uh, in it, and this movie is basically sort of an inverted version of a, a high school comedy in that uh, it's all centered on the women uh, in high school, and th- they play two uh, two women who uh, two girls who uh, desperately want to uh, get together with their girl crushes before the end of the school season, and they do that uh, in a manner of creating an after school fight club. Uh, as a way to gather uh, all the women together and, and and try to hook up with them uh, under the under the watchful eye of a teacher played by Marshawn Lynch, the football player, uh, who all of a sudden has become the funniest dude in in anything. If you've ever seen the show Murderville on Netflix, he's hilarious on that, and he kills in this movie. But this movie is hilarious. Uh, it is maybe one of the funniest high school comedies I've seen probably since like in like the super bad uh, era. I know some people have sort of compared it to book smart, but it's not that it is so absurd. It is so ridiculous. It is so funny. And to have all the women center stage and be that uh, the way that, you know, guys are normally being in those movies uh, is so refreshing. It's so funny. I laughed all the way through this thing. Okay. Um, all right, Steve, was there anything that stood out? Another one that you saw that you liked? Um, there was a sort of a, a period horror thing called Brooklyn 45 by uh, a guy who, this is his third feature, but he's actually better known in the, in the horror world as a sort of a, a guru publicist. Uh, but he's become like a, I think a really solid filmmaker too, named Ted Gagan. And he has, yeah, this movie is called Brooklyn 45. Um, and it's about a group of, I'm trying to think what they're exact, like people that worked together during the war, during World War II as interrogators and spies to a certain degree. But they kind of have a reunion uh, when one of their numbers dies. It's kind of like a memorial thing. And they get together at somebody's house and end up doing a having a seance uh, to get her back. And like Larry Fessenden is the husband of this woman that has died. And um, it's not. I mean, it is sort of going for scares, but I think it's just more meant as like a, a very unique twist on the uh, like a say a seance storyline, and and there there are some very some very graphic moments in it, but it's it's really comes down to like a, a it's almost like a pandemic thing. It all takes place in this one apartment. Um, they are a pandemic made thing. I shouldn't say it's not about the pandemic at all, but it's, they're just all in this one apartment um, dealing with this, this spirit um, who is pointing the finger at a German neighbor of the, the couple that lived in this place and how she is allegedly a German spy or was a German spy. And they um, are interrogated. They kind of have to pull out some of their interrogation skills to to get her to confess or or you know or there's not we're not really sure for most of the film whether she is or isn't a spy or was or wasn't a spy um yeah it's an interesting blend of a couple different things 
uh, that I really responded to. So yeah, I, I Brooklyn forty five is uh, something to look for down the line. Okay. All right. Well, there's a, there's a few things, and uh, uh, you guys have been doing coverage on it. You're going to be writing about it and all that kind of stuff, uh, where mm-hmm. people can read it elsewhere. So uh, follow uh, follow Steve and follow Eric, and you can get all the details on on other things that they saw at South by uh, Southwest. Um, so cool. Um, and one of the things that, as I said earlier, premiered at South by Southwest is John Wick Chapter Four, and we're going to do that one uh, uh, last because technically it doesn't really open for the public until a week from today. So, but there is a big movie that opened today that I did not see. I skipped the screening of it uh, the other <laughs> night because I didn't want to be late for a much more important movie, uh, which was called Videodromes. Videodromes. So I, <laughs> I, I chose to skip Shazam because I didn't want to be late for a movie I've seen about 500 times. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, and, and Eric, you did not uh, see Shazam as well. You were out of town and all that stuff. I was on a plane, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, Shazam opens today. It's the sequel to the Shazam movie which I don't remember anything about. Uh, and Steve's the only one who saw it. Steve, what's the deal with Shazam? What's it called? Fury of the Fury? Fury what? of the Gods. All right. There uh, you go. I, hey, I I saw both yesterday. So anyway, uh, I, I somehow made it to uh, Videodrome in the nick of time. But um, yes. So anyway, if you, but if you needed me, even though I just saw it a day ago, if you need me to give you an accurate, detailed summary, the plot of this Shazam sequel... Uh, I'd probably die of old age and a broken brain trying to do it. But um, so following up fairly quickly after the first one, there is a young kid named Billy Batson played by Asher Angel who transforms into a godlike hero with teenager, with a teenager's mentality uh, named Shazam, who is when we see Shazam, it's Zachary Levi um, and his foster brothers and sisters, all now who have superpowers and have become known pretty well known in their native philadelphia as crime fighters who always seem to mess things up when they're trying to save someone or something uh shazam insists that they only work together no no solo missions and and demands an extensive debrief to go over what they could have done better after each mission but the others want to sort of concentrate on honing their unique abilities and just sort of giving life and uh, just living life and getting schoolwork done and all the other things that like teenagers and preteens have to deal with um some of them like i said some of them are still quite young when they're when we see them as kids I and mean, you should be reminded that in most cases there, there's like young actors that play them as kids and then like older actors that play them as superheroes um anyway so meanwhile there's a pair of actual god sisters uh played by helen mirren and lucy Liu, who invade a museum to retrieve a, a broken staff of their father zeus it turns out Shazam snapped it in half in the, at the end of the last film, which I don't even remember. But um, and now the sorcerer who gave Shazam his powers is played by Jaiman Hansu, um, who I guess didn't actually die in the last movie, even though we saw him die. He has to repair the staff against his will because he knows having it fully functional is a danger to the young team of heroes. Uh, it's a very crowded story that also includes a subplot about a new girl at, at uh Freddie's high school. Freddie is is uh, Billy's best friend. He's the one with the the with the crutch. Um, his he there's a girl there who's like flirting with him. whose name is Anne. Who's played by uh, West Side Story's Rachel Zegler. Um, and of course, because she's flirting with him, we're immediately suspicious, and for good reason. Um, so we we got returning director David F. Sandberg, who also gave us Lights Out and the uh, glorious Annabelle creation. 
a Fury of the Gods does kind of plays up the fantasy quotient a little more than I remember the first film doing. Uh, there's a great deal of magic and monsters, including a dragon that I think is made of wood. Um, and there's this like the staff literally sapping the kids of their powers uh, one by one. Um, it's a little strange to see like known quantity actors like Adam Brody and Megan Good in such small supporting roles as the grown up heroes. Um, and they're also like, even though they're grown up looking, they still act like their real age like it's weird seeing megan good act like what's basically i think like a 10 year old um even when she's a hero and so and i would i would say that one of my criticisms of levi's performance which is mostly strong is that he tends to lean into the man child personality a little too heavily and it gets to be a little much especially in the scenes where he's like directly confronting these sisters um the other thing that does work in shazam's favor is that he kind of exists on the fringe of the DC universe. And he like, he's a fan of Batman and Superman and Aquaman and Wonder Woman, but he understands that he isn't at their level, at least when the film starts. But after taking on the task of like saving the world this time around, he's he's rewarded, I'll say, in a couple of scenes, including that kind of a fun mid-credit credit scene, uh, by an acknowledgement that he may be ready for the majors. So... Uh, who who knows where the James Gunn led DC universe is going to take us with this character, if anywhere. Uh, but it's clear that the old regime regime had plans for Shazam to sort of intermingle with more of the top line heroes in their slate. Um, so I, I, I'm always always kind of rooting for Levi to take this character somewhere interesting and and less dark than his DC counterparts. Uh, and and Sandberg has a tendency to kind of go big when he should make things intimate. And go small when things need to feel massive. Uh, so he, he never really allows the character to kind of settle in uh, into his more like relaxed skin. But sometimes the filmmaker does strike the right, right balance. Uh, and those are Fury of the God's best moments. Uh, having a veteran uh, like Helen Mirren certainly helps determine the stakes of any given moment. And she's easily the best thing in this movie. Um, there are themes here concerning abandonment and imposter syndrome and what is act what it actually means to be a hero. And those are pretty prominent here. Uh, but at its core, the Shazam movies have always been about a kid who is actually stoked about being a superhero. And and the other DC films hopefully will will learn something from that very simple premise. So it's I, I feel about the same way I did about the first one and this one. It's okay. It's fine, it's passable. Um but it's it's, I mean, and certainly in the DC films, it stands out as just because it's not awful. But beyond that, uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of down the middle on this one. Yeah, I don't remember anything about the other one. Uh, so, but I but I will say this: Rachel Zegler is in it, and this is the first movie she's done since West Side Story, and she was so yeah. goddamn great in West Side Story. Yeah. Does she does she get to do anything in this? Yeah. Oh no, she's she's definitely a big part of this one. Um, I I don't want to. I'm deliberately not revealing too much about yeah. her. Yeah. Um, but because I mean, I mean, even though it's, uh, I don't think they've revealed anything about her in the trailers. So no, yeah. she's she's definitely a big a big part of this, and she's she's good. She's fine. Yeah, she's very good. 
Yeah. Okay. Great. Because I love her in in, in yeah, West Side yeah. Story, and you know, and uh, and I just I'm curious as to see how she does, and I'm glad she's working because I think she's great. So that's yeah. cool. All right, now it opened today. That's the big one that opened today. Another movie that mm-hmm. opened today, which is playing uh, Steve, as you know, obviously, because you're the mm-hmm. PR guy at the Music Box, <laughs> um, and it's it is playing at the Music Box. It's also playing in other theaters as well, um, and it is a, a film called Inside. Uh, and uh, we all have seen it. Eric, tell us about Inside. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, well, it's not a whole lot to the plot for this story, but it involves uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, who is playing, who plays a thief, uh, who is uh, tasked with uh, getting into the apartment of this uh, this very big uh, art uh, collector and steal a whole bunch of his uh, paintings and get out of there for uh, someone who has been communicating with him and uh, and has hired him to do this job. Uh, it is done in the place is a, a giant penthouse uh, in this building and uh, the beginning of the movie drops us right in there as uh, he is pulling off this heist. Uh, but things go kablooey very quickly when the security system uh, manages to go off and literally traps him inside of this penthouse Uh, you can't get to the elevator obviously he's way too high up to climb down uh or even get out of the window for that matter uh and he uh he breaks basically breaks the security system uh so which not only uh prevents him from getting out but also prevents him from controlling the temperature uh in this location so with the temperature going up and this guy apparently uh on vacation or something uh as has not been at the apartment for some time uh there's not a lot of food uh, there's not a lot of, of stuff to drink, so uh, it basically turns into uh, a strange survival game for this guy, uh, play, playing a guy uh, named Nemo, uh, not helping to find Nemo this time. He plays a guy named Nemo. Uh, and uh, so it just takes us uh, as he tries to find water, tries to find something to eat, uh, tries to uh, conduct this, in, uh, construct this entire uh, ladder system, basically, so he can get up to the roof and possibly find a way out uh, up there. Uh, and you got Willem Dafoe at the center of it, who who is obviously one of our great actors and an opportunity to sort of spend a uh, hundred or so minutes with this guy uh, in a one-man show uh, is a very uh, unique prospect. Uh, and it works for a while, I think. I think the the early stuff with uh, him <laughs> desperately trying to uh, find nourishment uh, and find something to eat, uh, you have to sus- kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit uh, in exactly how much peril he's in. Uh, we have to imagine just how hot uh, the, this whole temperature gets. I mean, it seemed, as me as a cold-blooded creature, it seemed very comfortable to me. But uh, <laughs> obviously obviously not to him. And uh, it, then it get, turns into almost like a 127-hour situation where he starts talking to himself and pretending he's on a f- cooking show and stuff. And uh, and I wish that, I mean, there, there are elements of this movie that I wish would have upped the tension of this. And I think that that's one of the things that is really missing from this story uh and and it also doesn't lean in too much to willem dafoe doing the the one-man show shtick uh that would make this even a little more humorous of a situation so it's kind of stuck somewhere in the middle like even this whole thing this ladder that he constructs to get up to the roof is like he decides to do it and then like a, a scene later it's done already there's not even a whole lot of like fun in watching him try to conduct construct this thing so I think that there are elements in the movie that uh, the uh, the director Vasilis Kasulpas, uh, who also co-wrote the thing, really kind of miss out on, uh, and then it kind of turns into a sort of a 
weird spiritual get inside yourself kind of story and that stuff really just kind of bored me down the stretch uh i didn't really care uh by, by the end of it whether or not he got out or not uh and I, I think it's an it's an interesting exercise clearly something uh conceived during the pandemic uh one of the another genre of films that we're going to be talking about for several years uh i think it's interesting for for a while but about halfway through I don't think it, it has much to, to, to go with, and uh, so I'm uh, I'm ultimately down on inside. Okay. All right, Steve. Um, I, you know, I mean, Eric's right. This is basically just an acting showcase for Defoe, but I and like a physical, like a like a physical exercise as well. Um, but I also think by the end of the film, there, there's like a well, I should say at the very beginning of the film, there's like a little narration that Defoe gives about how he basically values art above all other things. And I think by the end of the film, it becomes like this very loose commentary on the value and worth of art. And because he has to be asking himself was coming to steal this art that he clearly treasures more than anything else worth it. And, um, and he's, and, 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 and I think by the end of the film, he's creating art. He's actually like drawing on the walls that I think that giant, monolith that he builds in the middle of the room to get to the root the, the skylight is a piece of art like that if you put that in a museum yeah. someone would call that art um so like it it is this sort of loose commentary and um and, and i you know and it, it, like is it worth a human life to like steal this art well you know <laughs> i'm sure he has different differing opinions by the end of the movie we should also mention just just on a on a specific level the the water has been turned off in this place. So he has to find places to get water where you wouldn't necessarily think to do it. And by the end of this film, I mean, you can smell this place. Like you can, I think they do a really great job of establishing like what a mess this place is. And I love just watching him like unlock every locked room or drawer or whatever, just to find out, how, if he can find anything in there to survive a little bit longer. And this thing goes on, I think, for months, because we're actually watching seasons change, um, which doesn't seem realistic, and I'm not sure we're supposed to take it literally. Um, but, I I mean, it was still kind of fascinating to think of it that way. I love the relation. There's also sort of a relationship he has, because he has access to the security cameras for the building. He can look into... And he kind of almost forms this relationship with a cleaning lady that he thinks might be able to help him escape if she gets close enough to the door of this place. Um, but I love that he he kind of starts to watch her and understands her patterns. And and I, I kind of found that fascinating. I, I found the whole thing kind of fascinating. No, it doesn't. Not everything's as interesting as everything else here. And it but it certainly goes from like a just a guy, like a survivalist story to to something else. Um it's like, you know, it's a, this place basically becomes a torture chamber after a while. So, um, but I think, I think it's about like his mortality and his sanity, which is slowly kind of slipping away as the film goes. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, if it was anybody else but Defoe, it might not have worked as well, but there, there is something about seeing that guy mostly without clothes on in his weird body <laughs> that kind of pulled me into this thing. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digging this one. I thought it was great. I was with it from the beginning. It sucked me in completely. And obviously, when you have somebody like Willem Dafoe, you know, as your as the only actor, um, you know, to watch during this, of course, he's in, he's you know compulsively watchable. 
and they mm. give him a lot of great stuff to do in this. And and, and yes, uh, you know, just in terms of it being sort of a survivalist thing, where yeah, I mean, it is set up where this guy is on a business trip, and this is not the only dwelling that he owns. He's an incredibly rich guy, so it explains that yes, he's in there for you know, Defoe is trapped in there for a very long time, and the excuse is that he's on this business trip and this is his second home, so he's not going to visit it. And there are you know millions of people who have who are rich people who have many homes that they don't visit for months at a time. And that's the setup here to excuse the fact that, in fact, seasons do go by. So he's in there for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if, if you want to watch uh, a one-man show, uh, essentially, you, you want to have an actor as interesting and as bold and as strange and wonderful as Willem Dafoe. And I think the script g- gives him a lot to do. And again, what you said, Steve, is to me... The film is about a very fucked up and 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 maybe uh, uh, cynical and maybe evil dude who eventually creates art, mm. um, something that he is supposed to love while he's in this situation. Uh, tonally and in some subject matters and theme matters, it reminded me of Tar. Only it was good. That's the difference. <laughs> and it reminded me thematically and in style and in tone of Tar. And I was like, oh well, this is the good version of that story. And to watch Willem Dafoe do what he does in this movie as a one-person show, and there's a lot of humor in it at the beginning, and there's a, there is a, a, a wonderful use of the Macarena in this movie that is absolutely <laughs> yes. hilarious. Um, and, you know, all the things that he has to come up with. We've seen one-person shows before, people trying to survive. I mean, the first movie that comes to mind is Castaway, and there's a lot of Castaway stuff in this movie, despite the fact that he's in a high-rise, you know, apartment. But then it becomes about art, and, it, it, and the, the whole opening statement, is repeated at the end, and it has a completely different text, uh, context to it. And, um, and if you look at the credits at the very end, uh, there are cr- the credits for the artwork in this movie is longer than the credits for the crew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you if you you know, sit through the through the credits, I found this movie compelling. I found it it grabbed me from the beginning, and uh, and and again, if you're going to have a one man show. This is the actor to do it with. Like, there's not, there aren't a lot of actors who are as weird and compelling who can play a really twisted character in this way um, than the way Defoe does. And to watch the shit that he has to go through in order to get food, uh, in order to, you know, uh, do simple things like, you know, go to the bathroom and things like that. It's all shown in great, de- in great detail. Yeah. And yeah, and I love the stuff with the security camera. I thought the stuff with the cleaning lady was great. And, you know, watching the security cameras and getting a little glimpse of what's going on inside the lobby and all that stuff. Um, it's wonderful. I thought it was really great. I thought it was beautifully directed. I thought it had a lot of really great, dark, twisted ideas about art and those who, you know, who, you know, who, who, who create it. Um, and I just, I thought it was great. I was, I was completely compelled and grabbed by it from the beginning to the end. I thought it was funny and suspenseful and really well acted by Defoe. Uh, I thought this was top-notch stuff, man. I was, I was with it 100% from the beginning to the end, and I thought it was great. So, uh, and it is Music Box and a bunch of other theaters, too. It's playing um, mm-hmm. like a, a bunch of theaters around town, and that opened uh, today as well as Shazam. Now, there is a movie that's opening next week, but we are not on the next, uh, next Friday's podcast because you guys are on every other week. But it's a big one, and we got the okay from the dreaded embargo gods that it was okay to, to talk about this new movie, which, Eric, you saw at the premiere at South by Southwest. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, it is Chapter 4 of John Wick. John Wick, Chapter 4. This is the fourth part of the Keanu Reeves action, crazy-ass, shoot 'em up fight 'em up movies uh, that are all really pretty great. And this is the fourth one in that chapter. And, Steve, why don't you uh, tell us about the plot of John Wick 
as it were. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. Yeah, and then, uh, we'll, then we'll jump into it. <laughs> there's there's a lot of plot here, but but really it's just about John Wick still has a death sentence on his head. Supposedly every assassin on the planet is trying to kill him, um, but he, he discovers a path that he thinks will get this death sentence taken off his head. It will defeat the high table, uh, whoever that is, whatever that is. Um, but before he can kind of earn his freedom, he has to go through a whole bunch of loops. Uh, he has like a new enemy. He has, uh, some new alliances. He has, um, people after him that used to be friends that are now trying to kill him for, for their own reasons, very worthy reasons in some cases. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it, I, I, beyond that, I'm not, I mean, it's just about, about who's in this. Um, we're, we're back with the, the former, like the stunt coordinator and, and director of all four John Wick movies, Chad Stahelski. Um, Keanu Reeves obviously is back as John Wick. We have some familiar faces in Lawrence Fishburne as the, as the Bowery King who I, he's the only one I kind of wish had been in it a little more, but I'm not really sure what else there was for him to do here. Uh, Lance Reddick is here as the concierge of the Continental. Ian McShane is back as the manager, Winston of the Continental. Um, but I mean, at least I, I'll give him credit for like kind of starting off with a scorched earth plan regarding the Continental. I'm not going to say anything more about it, but at least like that is not a, a place where we're going to like find a lot of safety anymore. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's really just like a, a journey around the world for John Wick trying to pick up. Uh, it's almost it's almost like a game. Um, it's almost like a role playing game where he has to he has certain tasks he has to accomplish. Uh, some we find out a little bit about his his quote unquote family, um, who I think are supposed to be Russian. Is that what I'm is that what I remember or something something Eastern European? But um, we find out, you know, found out a little bit about his I should say his crime family. Um, I don't think there's any actual family members in this, but, but my, so this, this one, I, I assume, have we heard for sure this is the last one or do we think there's more of these coming? I, I can't, I'm not even a hundred percent sure. Well, but there's a, there's it, a post, there's a post credit scene. So I don't there, know. What there, there's something. That, so. Well, I know that they've talked about doing a, a series about the hotel. Yeah. Uh, about the continental. So I, I, but I don't know if that involves John Wick or not, but, um, but they're going out with a bang, and a bang is in like an almost three-hour bang. So um, that might that might be it's a lot of that's a lot of gunfire. And I will say that around the middle of this film, um, I felt like the movie was spinning its wheels a little. But once we there's like an extended sequence in this sort of Japanese version of the Continental. Uh, it has it has a manager um, who's played by uh, Hiroyuki Sonata and a concierge played by the. British Japanese pop star Rina Soyama, who I think this is her first film. It is, um, and she's very good in it. And yeah. um, th it's basically the, the sequence is just like a lot of breaking glass. And I feel like we've seen that in these movies before, but then it just keeps kind of going. And in this last, we've talked about already this last hour or so of film, it's off with like this incredible. I guess it's like a car chase slash fight sequence set in the roundabout. Uh, surrounding the Arc de Triomphe of Paris, and it just goes from there and doesn't let up. And it's maybe one of the most like incredible extended sequences I've ever seen. And I and I told you this, Nick, after we saw it, I said my only real issue with the film is that 
Wick has become like indestructible in this movie, except when he's not, except when they, the, the plot needs him to not be. But he literally at one point falls out of a five story window and just lands on the top of a car and then bounces off the car and hits the street. And, and he's basically fine. I mean, he's a little winded, but other than that, and that's, that makes him a superhero. I don't need, I, I just reviewed Shazam. I don't need another superhero movie right now. I love the first film so much because he's definitely hurtable and he he just is very good at avoiding getting hurt most of the time. So here um, he seems to lean into getting hurt, uh, but he's always able to survive and bounce back very quickly. And I realize that's the nature of action movies in general. But but in a John Wick movie, it's like accentuated. Um, I was really thrilled to see Donnie Yen uh, show up here as like an old friend who's also trying to kill him named Kane. Um, clearly, he's blind uh, very clearly an homage to the legendary Japanese character Zatoichi, the, the blind swordsman. Um, I know Keanu Reeves loves those movies. They made 26 of them, plus a TV series, well, all with the same actor. It, it's that's He's like a co-lead in this movie. He's great. I love Bill Skarsgård as the basically the villain of the piece who just wants John Wick dead and wants all of the... Everything associated with John Wick erased from the planet. He plays the Marquis. Um, and I got to say, I mean, I, I, I've been watching Bill Skarsgård for a while now, and this dude is the real deal. I don't know what it is in the water in Sweden, uh, particularly in the Skarsgård household, but they're just pumping out these guys who are so <laughs> intense and so good. And he's and he's well, we've seen him in, in plenty of stuff recently, and he's showing like a range. And here he's just like nasty beyond words and and. um He's great. He's he's a great villain. He's like maybe one of the best villains that I I can remember seeing in these movies. Um, and then I should also add, there's for for just action fans in general, there's an actor, a Chilean actor in this who plays. I think he's the Marquis, like kind of right hand assassin. Who he's got a beard in it. Uh, he's a giant guy named Marco Zoror. And um, if you don't know him, go seek out his films. I mean, he was in like he's been in some American things like Machete Kills, but Go find a movie called Mandrill. That it's an unbelievable, and he's in a movie coming out pretty soon called Fist of the Condor, which I think is a Chilean film. But anyway, this guy is amazing, and to put him in this movie is just like it's almost too much. It's almost too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just love that they have put all these incredible action stars and just actors in general um, in this thing, and it it completely like it completely pays off. Like it's all. It's all so strong and so much fun. I, I, um, and just brutal. Like, I mean, I felt like battered by the end of this movie. And I think that's, I think that's what they're going for. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the imaginary bruises in this. So anyway, that's, that's it. I mean, just really, it's, it's a hard movie to actually review because you just want to go. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> That's all you can say about it. And that's pretty much all I said while I was watching this. So anyway, chapter four. All right. There you go. Eric. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, I've been hearing this criticism since the screening at South by Southwest from some people about the idea about John Wick being indestructible. Uh, You know, John Wick didn't start out like Die Hard. John Wick was not John McClane. John Wick was pretty much 
a superhuman from the get-go. Yes, at the end of that movie, there was some possibility that he might die, but he, you know, he takes some some serious, uh, you know, bullets, uh, you know, by the end of that movie, and everything that's happened since has been an escalation of his legend even if we sort of view in this as sort of a print the legend type of story that you know maybe someone you know from afar is telling the john wick legend and he can kill 697 people by shooting them in the face all the time that's that's you know a, a, a different reading on the movie obviously but unlike the Die Hard movies the john wick movies have gotten better with each chapter and that is remarkably hard to do and they do it by not looking back they just go forward with believing that john wick can basically do just about anything and that includes falling out of i mean he fell out of a building at the, at the end of john wick 3 so i don't know why that has to be a criticism now uh does that hinder the enjoyment of these movies absolutely not because this movie is all about the action. I mean, my only criticism of these movies is that they sometimes get a little too deep into their own mythology. That was a criticism I had in the very first movie. I'm just like, this is weird. Just shoot people. Uh, but the mythology of it, I think, gets a little bogged down. I think there are some scenes in this one which goes on for nearly three hours long that do like like the a couple scenes could have been cut i think uh, a couple scenes could have been pared down and i'm just talking about the the talking bits the mythology and all that stuff we know what the story is we know that everyone wants to kill john wick and he just has to survive and like steve said there is a video game mentality to this entire series that is like watching someone go into a room and have to fight his way out or fight fight to stay out of it whatever it might be and just kill as many people as you can, just like in a video game. And this movie basically comes down to three incredibly extended action sequences. That hotel sequence, as Steve mentioned, there's a, a nightclub scene in the middle of it that's in, that's crazy. And the last hour of this movie, starting with this car foo like <laughs> sequence, uh, leading up to the maybe the best staircase action sequence since The Untouchables, uh, and then up to this final you know duel that happens at the end of the movie that is all the more uh, it has the less bullets in the entire movie, but is so, still that's where the tension really is. Uh, I, I I I just enjoyed this movie so much. I mean, John Wick is exploding people in this movie with with a weapon and that's how crazy it gets it's beautifully staged beautifully choreographed keanu reeves as an action hero probably has the least amount of dialogue since matt damon's <laughs> last james Bourne movie uh and it's fun it's almost playing off the sort of the, the the mystique of keanu reeves in his career a bit which i thought was kind of funny I had a blast watching this movie. I can't wait for other people to see it. I can't wait to take people to it. John Wick Chapter 4 is, I mean, the series has become a staple in the action universe. And Chapter 4 uh, is fantastic. Yeah, no, this is a fucking great movie. I, I, and and I loved it. And uh, I loved every frame of it. I, I, you know, I agree with you, uh, Eric, about the getting a little too deep with the mythology. But in this movie, it didn't bother me at all. It did bother me in the last one. I thought the third one, they really went, there was too much blah, blah, blah. This is the table, and here's this comes. You shut up and shoot somebody. You know what I mean? But in this one, I thought it was all the stuff that they did, I think they acknowledged the fact of how silly it was leading up to this ridiculous duel, which is, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But, um, but the thing is, 
this, it, as far as action movies go, this is the best action. This is the best action movie since Fallout, since Mission Impossible Fallout, yeah. which was the best action movie since Fury Road. So the three best action movies of the past like <laughs> 20 years are Fury Road, Fallout, and this. And they're all incredible examples of how to fucking do action. You want to do action, you want to do fights, you want to do shootings, you want to do car chases, you want to do over-the-top, crazy, insane action. This is how you do it. And, um, and yeah, it plays off of the whole Keanu Reeves, his, 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 uh, uh, you know, his, his reputation, the way he acts, the talking and all that stuff, his love of everything in these, in these mixed cultures that they're, that, they're, that they're concentrating on. And, yes, bringing in these unbelievably talented uh, fighters and choreographers and insane uh, stunt people um, to, for this one insane you know, thing, uh, it all works brilliantly. And on the simplest of levels, this is just a kick ass action movie from beginning to end there are sequences in this movie that are stunning that are like jaw-dropping uh you know you mentioned the 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 unbelievable car fight scene uh you know nobody mentioned the dog the fucking dog that like kicks ass (laughs) in this movie uh and yeah and you don't mess with another another thing is you don't mess with dogs when john wick's around that's just something you don't do (laughs) Um, and so you've got that. You've got that incredible scene with the cars and everything. You've got the incredible scene in the, in the hotel. And as you mentioned, the nightclub scene. There is a scene in this movie that is full-on like Brian De Palma tribute, which is an overhead shot of John Wick going through a house. And you see the camera above the house. Uh, through them through you know like a, it, it turns into like what would be a maze and it's this overhead crane shot of him going from room to room going into shootouts and killing people and it's unbelievable the extended like long takes in this it's brilliant it's incredible and this chad uh Stileski, Stileski guy uh is the real talent because the other jagoff who co-directed these movies the first like couple went on to do like bullet train and he went on to do like uh, the the uh, the one where they waste what's her name uh, Charlize Theron um, Atomic Blonde yeah which has a ni- couple of nice sequences in it but we realize who the real talent is it's not that guy because Bullet Train was a piece of shit and and people who like you know and, and another thing I loved about this movie is that it's got all these insane action sequences it makes no sense and it's got all these crazy fight scenes and to me after seeing this the seeing this movie three days after fucking everything everywhere all at once wins Best Picture I'm like you see. Another reason why that movie sucked is because you can do it and you can do it well uh, and have insanity and great fight scenes without sacrificing, you know, you know, quality. And and the the whole thing about like not being, you know, like, you know, indestructible to me, uh, everybody is. How many bullets does it take to take these guys down? Not just John Wick. But in every fight scene, they cut throats, they put like 12 rounds into a guy's head, and then there's like Tevlar, you know, everybody, everything's, the suits are made of Tevlar, and everybody yeah. is like got bulletproof thing. So it takes 27 bullets to kill anybody, not just John Wick. They cut throats, they cut off heads. I mean, you think somebody's down, and then they get back up. Everybody has supernatural, crazy, over-the-top action abilities. And one of the things that I was telling you, Steve, when we were talking about it afterwards was, like, at the end of this movie, which builds up to this big duel, which is like an old-fashioned duel that does not involve insane cars. It doesn't involve fights. It involves, like, an old-school duel with, a, you know, the pistol and the one bullet and everything. Um, and, uh, and that's when it, there's the most suspense because that's the only – moment in the movie when you feel like John Wick is destructible. And I love the fact that it's just this simple thing. Like, what's going to take him down? One bullet? And that, to me, makes it even more effective at the end. Like, this guy's indestructible going downstairs and through cars and jumping off buildings and getting shot. But yet, the thing that might take him down is one fucking bullet in a duel with pacing. 
I loved that. Um, and also, very quickly, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody, but at one point in this movie, the last hour of this movie is a virtual remake of one of the greatest action movies ever made. And they go so far, it's not just an homage. You know, it's not just like, oh, here's an Easter egg or two. <laughs> the whole last hour of this movie is set up directly from exactly reenacting a scene that sets up one of the greatest stylized action movies of all time from one of the greatest action directors of all time. And, um, and I actually, we sat through the credits at the end because I wanted to see if this director was thanked. He wasn't. But I can't wait to, I can't wait, this director is still alive, and I can't wait, and he just released a movie last year, which was terrific, and I can't wait to hear what this guy thinks of it, because the last hour of this movie is a, an homage, a tribute, and an unbelievable, like, takeoff on one of the greatest action movies of all time. And I didn't know they were going to go there. You know, Eric, you didn't tell me this because you yeah. texted me and said it was great. Right. I didn't know they were going to go there, and Peter was sitting next to me, and you know, uh, and, and, oh, and I, was yeah. sitting, I was sitting between Steve and Peter, but Peter and I <laughs> happened to have... Uh, an undying love for this director that we're talking about to the point where mm-hmm. we both included his movie last year on our list of the best of. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm like, oh, are man. they actually going to, are they actually going to play the song? Like the actual song? Are they going to do it? And then they did it. And Peter and I almost died. We were like screaming. And, uh, yeah. and so that's like an added, an added bonus. I don't want to give it away, but everybody knows the movie. And when you see it, and, they, and that's the setup. And then the whole last part of the movie is structured completely on that movie. That added my love. It, it, it multiplied my love for this movie uh, even more. This is just a quintessential textbook beyond great action movie. Uh, like I said, the best since Fallout. Fallout's the best since Fury Road, and it's on that level. It's that fucking great. So I loved John Wick Chapter 4. And somehow well, I guess, we, we, I guess, we, we, all, we all reviewed it, and no one mentioned Clancy Brown. I'm shocked. Oh, yeah, Clancy Brown's in it, too, man. Clancy Brown rules. He rules. Yeah, yeah he does. He's so good. Um, He's the best. And I got to say, Nick, that I, I stayed for a little bit of the Q&A after the screening. Obviously, Chad and, uh, and Keanu were there. And yeah. when they came out on stage, they started – They just. I mean, it wasn't even – they didn't even answer the question. They, but they started talking about their influences for this movie because they, they talked about just like – we just wanted to put up on the screen things that we love. And yeah. obviously Keanu's talking about his stuff. Yeah. And that movie that you're referring to was mentioned. Of course, it had to be. Yes. I mean, you can't. Right. Not, I mean, Jesus Christ, man. Yes. I mean, what, I mean, <laughs> like when it was happening, when, when they set it up, and I don't want to give it away, but there is a, you know, I mean, there is a shot of, you know, something. And I'm like, no, seriously, are they really going to yeah. do this? And then like, okay, they'll do that. That's really cool. The setup is great. And then they play the actual song. Like, I, I was like, what the fuck? And I was, Peter and I were losing. Well, you were there. You were next to us, Steve. Yeah. Peter and I were losing our shit when that started and continued. Like, they kept going back to, the, to, that, you know, to that person, that narrator. I was like, yeah. this is the best goddamn movie ever. So, anyway, um, the John Wick movies rule, and they keep getting better, as you said. And this is by far the best of the lot and one of the best action movies of the past 20 years. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, the next time we talk, uh, we've got the Dungeons and Dragons uh, movie, right? Oh, yeah, I saw that at South by. Too. I, I saw it as well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then what? Uh, and then there's another one too. Then I can't remember what it is, but there's another one coming out uh, at the end of the month that we're going to talk about. So there you go. All Tet- right, and uh, Tetris. 
yeah, Tetris, <laughs> right. Uh, I've so, seen it. I've seen so, it. <laughs> so Steve, Steve and Eric have much more in-depth coverage of South by Southwest. And Eric went. He's got a lot of coverage on that. Look for these guys uh, elsewhere online to get uh, all the details on South by Southwest. But we wanted to let you know about John Wick. Again, John Wick Chapter 4 does not open today. It opens next Friday. But we wanted to make sure we reviewed it because we're not going to be on. These guys are not be on my next uh, Friday's podcast. So, all right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks. You got it. All right. We'll see you later. There's Steve. There's Eric. And uh, those are the movies. And let's say hello to Esmeralda Leal. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon is with us as she is uh, on every episode. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. because uh, I'm going to a lot of movies this next week. Uh, they're doing some very cool stuff at the Gene Siskel Film Center. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing a special tribute for the 91st birthday of John Williams. So they're showing a whole bunch of movies that John Williams did the score for. Oh, wow. So like they're showing Close Encounters and they're showing uh, mm-hmm. the Dracula from 1979 um and uh so they're doing that and they're also showing some technicolor movies so uh tonight in fact they're showing bullworth the warren Beatty movie which is one of my favorites they're mm-hmm. showing that they're showing artists and models which is a uh, martin lewis dean martin jerry lewis movie shot in beautiful technicolor um mm. yeah so there's a lot of really That's cool neat. stuff happening at the film center so i'm excited about that as well so that'll be fun you got anything planned for the weekend um, I will be going to visit my parents. I haven't seen them in a minute, so we're gonna yeah, go so to Joliet. Joliet, and is it your and your bro's birthday was recently, right? Yeah, it's actually uh, it was yesterday. Oh wow! Okay, all right. Well, happy yeah. Birthday. Happy birthday to your brother. I'll let him know. So that was that would be three sixteen. Mm hmm. Oh, so he's a he is a uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin baby. Sure. <laughs> Yes, they, it was all planned that way. It was that was right. Austin three sixteen says, "I just yep. whooped your ass." That's uh, okay. Right. Yeah, my my, that's what uh, they were thinking when they had <laughs> they him. What they had it was like, we got to have this kid on three sixteen so he can be the Stone yeah. Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, by the way, you know who else uh, happens to have a birthday on the sixteenth? Your Who's brother that? shares a your brother shares a birthday with one of my idols. One of my favorite mm-hmm. people that's ever lived on the planet, ever. Your brother shares a birthday with fucking Jerry Lewis. Oh. Yeah. Let him know. Let him know. Let him know that he shares a, a, a birthday with uh, perhaps oh, the funniest, interesting. funniest man that uh, ever lived. Yeah. So, anyway. Okay, cool. Do you share a birthday with famous people? Do you have any? Who? Uh, Julian Lennon. That's good. What are your April yeah. 11th? April 8th. 8th. Why am I thinking uh, April? I knew it was April. April 8th. Um, I know it's Julian Lennon, and then I don't think there's anybody that. Nobody else? Uh, 
I don't think so. Not that I like that I immediately comes to mind. I mean, yeah. of course there are people, but nobody that I would go. I yes. got some. Go- I got some good ones actually on my birthday. Um, oh. Stallone, Sylvester Stallone. Nice. Uh, George W. Bush. <laughs> mm. uh, the Dalai Lama. Oh. Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, Janet Lee. Um, your 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 birthday is star studded. It is. It's kind of <laughs> weird. And there's more too. And I, oh, Fifty Cent. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So uh, you got to have more than Julian Lennon on April. 8th, Probably. Right? Yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, uh, happy birthday to your broham. That's cool. Hope yeah. you have fun. You going, doing anything special for the for Joliet? Going to the prison? No, just gonna go home and spend time with. With the folks Family, and stuff. with my parents, yeah. yeah. Well, have fun. That's cool. Thanks. It's cool. Uh, and then, you know, we're only a few weeks away. Are you going to go out there for Easter, too, in a couple of weeks? Uh, probably not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. Um, hey, you know what you are doing in a couple of weeks? What's that? You're going to be at Zany's in Rosemont, I understand. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Will there yeah. be anyone joining us? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, will there be anyone joining us? Yeah. Berwin. What the? <laughs> It'd be funny if he just walked into your into your house. <laughs> yeah, wait, you mean like? With Carrie? Yeah, he's back there. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Berwin! What? Hey! He's just hanging out back there. Just hanging yeah. out in the back there. Rich Coase is going to be at our next event, uh, our live event, which we love doing, the Nick D Podcast Live. It's a monthly thing. Zany's in Rosemont. But Rich Coase is our special guest. He's going to be on stage with us. You can meet him, and we're going to talk to him and hang out with him, uh, a.k.a. Sven Gulli, the legend. You got to get your tickets now, man. Uh, I'm telling you, it's mm-hmm. going to be a blast. Rosemont.zanies.com. Call the box office at 847-813-0484. The Nick D Podcast Live. Zanies and Rosemont, Tuesday, March 28th. Doors open 630. Showtime at 730. And Rich will join us about 45 minutes into the show. We will bring Rich out. And uh, Mr. Svenguli himself will be on. Berwin! So get your tickets now. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. Oh, yeah. Good so. time. All right, cool. Hey, uh, we do have a magic megaphone message. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised because, again, Esmeralda, as you know, this somehow has taken off. <laughs> um, I love pe- it. People love to hear whatever the hell they want said or spoken or played right. through the magic <laughs> megaphone. Again, you got a message of some kind, you got a joke, you got something, a line from a movie, whatever you want me to say into the megaphone, I'm a monkey for you. Uh, email me, uh, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, or leave your voicemail message at 773-417-6948. Okay, um, this is from Wayne in Palatine. Oh, Palatine, I was just there not too long ago. About a week and a half ago, I was out in Palatine uh, being a guest on Tom Appel's Car Stuff pod- podcast. Ooh. Which was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, yeah, he records it out in uh, Palatine. So I was a guest on the on the podcast. We had a great time. We talked about car, you know, car movie movie cars and car movies. Mm-hmm. And it was That's great. Fun. And so I was in Palatine uh, not too long ago. And Wayne is from Palatine, and he has this uh, megaphone, magic megaphone request. And again, as you know, I will play it and then explain it. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. What the hell? What? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> What's going on? I'm just going to press the wrong button. Okay, here we go. 
that's a spicy meatball. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Okay, so. Do you, uh. You recognize that, Esmeralda? I do not. Okay, uh, that is from a classic. And if you just Google, um, Mamma Mia, that's a spicy meatball. Uh, it will pop up. It is one of the classic lines and mm-hmm. moments from uh, the Alka-Seltzer commercials of the 70s. Oh. Uh, you know, it's like they also did the, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. So, like, you know, whenever you got indigestion or an upset stomach from eating too much or having something right. like this spicy, you reach right for the Alka-Seltzer. Of course. And Wayne was saying pop. that it's... it's his- <laughs> I was going to say pop, pop. It's plop plop. <laughs> it's plop plop. Yeah, pop pop. No, that's a different thing. That's, plop. That's, that's MIA. Plop plop, it's pop, fizz, pop, fizz. pop 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 pop. That's MIA. If I'm not mistaken. Not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Wayne from Palatine says that one of his favorite commercials of all time when he was a kid was mm. uh, the Mamma Mia. That's a spicy meatball, and it was a, a guy. A, a, you know, your absolute complete Italian stereotype guy. Mm-hmm. You know, in the uh, in 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 the this, you know the 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 tank top sort of you know wife beater T shirt as they call them, right? With the mustache, <laughs> with like tomato sauce stains on his shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> sitting it was at the, a spicy sit, meatball. Sitting at the table, <laughs> of course, being served by his wife, who's in an apron, and you know what I mean. Full on every Italian stereotype you can imagine: the way the house is decorated, you know, all that shit, and and, and yeah. Uh, he ate late at night, you know. Oh, yeah, not a good idea. Yeah, and back in the seventies, there weren't microwaves for everybody to like wake up in the middle of the night. So he like woke up his wife and made him cook, made her cook for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? You gotta make a meal. You gotta make a meal, meal. You know. And uh, so he's like, "Ooh!" He has her food and complains about her cooking, of course, because it's the seventies, and that's what you do. You complained about your wife and your mother-in-laws all the time. And uh, and he was like, Mamma Mia, that's a spicy meatball. And then she gives him some Alka-Seltzer and he's all better. Ah. But yeah, no, this is, this is a classic. Mamma Mia, that's a spicy meatball. And that little noise. Mamma Mia, that's a spicy meatball. That little kick at the end. Mm-hmm. I cut it off, but actually what happens is the, the, uh, the door of the oven falls off and smashes on the ground after he says it. <laughs> Oh, wow. Because they live in a really... (laughs) not spicy, It was so spicy, it blew the goddamn door off the oven. Right? (laughs) But anyway, Wayne from Palatine, one of his favorite commercials growing up, was the Alka-Seltzer commercial with Mamma Mia, That's a Spicy Meatball. And instead of me doing it again, I I, I went to the source. So Hmm. there you go. But yeah, there were a series of them, Esmeralda. If you ever Google Alka-Seltzer commercials from the 70s, that one, and, and I can't believe I ate the whole thing, that was the other, the other big one. Right. Like, like there'd be a guy going, oh, because he ate like an entire, you know, sub sandwich or something. He ate like a seven foot sandwich <laughs> or something. And they're like, oh, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. So those were catchphrases from that. But it was, it was like the Yokero Taco Bell of the 70s. Of course. So anyway. Uh, all right. Well, we, uh, we're going to do uh, some more uh, Mexican candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one of these here I am, is a mystery thing. Now, you know what it is. Yeah, I found it. It's a big, it's like a teeny little orange tub, and it's got stuff in it, and it's covered Mm -hmm. with plastic. It's wrapped in plastic like Laura Palmer was on Twin (laughs) Peaks. Wrapped in plastic. 
Um, and, and I'm not sure what this is, but we'll, you, can, you can inform me as to what it is uh, when we try it in a little bit. Sure. All right, cool. Hey, uh, you know, the last time we were talking about those, uh, those rumors, those celebrity mm-hmm. rumors, and we were myth-busting mm-hmm. them, and, and we, for, for some reason, last time we were focusing on, like, uh, burnout homophobic uh, rumors right. that were started. <laughs> Rod Stewart, you know, uh, had to have his stomach pumped because he consumed 17 gallons of semen. You know, you know that, that, right. <laughs> that stupid-ass stuff. But we do have other ones here. Now, the one that I wanted to start with, and again, these are like rumors that we may have heard. And, you know, as the last time we were talking, it was like, what we were trying to figure out, how can we figure out where these things came from? Like, is there a way to track down the origin of some of these ridiculous celebrity rumors? I mean, uh, Snopes? Snopes is uh, maybe one of those places. Yeah, I mean, they would be a good... At least they... I don't know if they find the source source, but they usually... Yeah. Do investigative it's it's always research. weird it's always weird to me like oh, man, i wonder where that came some one jagoff decided that hey richard gear put a gerbil up his ass let me just start that rumor oh yeah one yep. guy in the middle of just nowhere takes one <laughs> and and then you know and now it's still millions and millions and millions of people have heard it laughed about it and it was just the you know it all came from one Jagoff who just decided, you know yeah. what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make up a I'm gonna make up a rumor that Richard Gere had a gerbil in his butt. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about this one? A rumor is that Holly Berry has six toes on one foot. Now, have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. I've never heard it. Uh, yeah, um, I've never. That's that's such a petty <laughs> rumor. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Like Kelly all these Berry are. is such a gorgeous woman, so it's just funny. Like, well, she has six toes. Well, that's the thing, and that's like, <laughs> my, like most of this stuff is to bring people down a peg, is to bring the celebrities down a peg, and yeah. that's why they can like, oh yeah, Richard Gere, it, you know, it, it, in the seventies and eighties, he was sleeping with every hot woman in the world for a long time. Like, he was married, I think, to to, to Cindy Crawford at one time. They yeah. were married. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, you know, he was a stud for a while. So everybody was like, well, let's let's uh, make him weird. And he puts gerbils up his ass, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Rod Stewart made a, a disco song. So, of course, he, you know, he choked on semen. So that, you know. <laughs> right. So you got to take them down a peg. So, of course, Holly Berry is one of the most beautiful women in the existence of Earth. So, yeah, she's got six toes. She's not perfect. Right. Um, and then it says, but this is proven wrong. Holly Berry has five toes on each of her feet. She addressed this rumor on Ellen and even pulled out her uh, her 10 very normal toes for all to see. There you go. So it Although, was, a bit, you know, people will probably still be like, whoa, they were fake. Yeah. yeah. There was C- <laughs> the, Ellen has CGI. It was CGI. They she CGI fixed her. it. Yeah. yeah. Or she um, had it before, but then she got it surgically removed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> But again, it was big enough. I mean, I hadn't heard that, and, I, and you hadn't heard it, but it was big enough for her to address it on Ellen, so it had to be yeah. pretty big. Yeah, Yeah. so I guess some people were yeah. listening to that. Yeah, some people were, and then it turned out to be... Boring, man, you're all fucking boring. With your piddling grievances over nothing, you're all fucking boring! Have we talked since uh, Jamie Lee Curtis won an Oscar? Have we mentioned it? Um... I thought we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah we, we did. did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> we did. did. I was just—I wasn't happy about any of the Oscars, except that I—I I still have a little love for the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis won an Oscar, even though the woman who just said those lines deserved it. Right. So, but yeah, but Jamie Lee Curtis has an Oscar. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Uh, what, what, what? Which of these 
celebrity myth busting rumors would you would you like to uh, talk about next? What's something we got six toes on Holly Berry? What's next? Well, speaking of the Oscars, mm-hmm. uh, the rumor that Marissa Tomei didn't what? actually win her Oscar because they misread the card. Although, see now that's already well that's been debunked in the sense too that they'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, uh, La La Land did not win, and they fixed it. And right. Moonlight came up to uh, get their award. Yeah, so they it's immediately... not like just because you misread it; it's fact. Right, right. You don't go on. It doesn't ha- It doesn't go on. I mean, we, you know, we, you know, as you as you just mentioned, La La Land. Um, for about a minute, everybody thought La La Land <laughs> won mm-hmm. uh, long enough to make it incredibly uncomfortable because all of the La La Land people were on stage. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, but, but you're not, it's not going to be... Th- the thing about this, and this has been consistent since she won, since Marissa Tomei won. She won in 1993 mm-hmm. for Best Supporting Actress 1992 for My Cousin Vinny. Um, and this has been a consistent rumor since then. And yeah. the thing, the, and, and I guess people, the, the reason why, first of all, um, the, the person who presented it to her mm-hmm. was, was Jack Palance. And Jack Palance was elderly at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, Jack Palance is old. He read the wrong name. You know what I mean? Like, he, right. just, he just said it because he's old. So first of all, it's another crack at old people, even though Jack Palance, you know, was doing one-armed push-ups a year before, famously, on the... On the did, you, <laughs> did you know that, Esmeralda, that when Jack Palance won Best Supporting Actor the year before for uh, uh, City Slickers, he accepted the award and, did, and then did one-armed push-ups? Oh, wow. And he was like 87 <laughs> or something at the time. He was like in Good his 80s. Good for 80. him. Yeah, no, fuck, God bless him. So if you're going to say, yeah, he's old, you're going you're gonna to say that about a guy who was sharp enough and physical enough to do one-armed push-ups a year earlier, and this is the guy who couldn't read the card? Right. <laughs> but it, but it, what it comes down to is that, you know, horror movies and comedies never get the big awards at the Academy. They never do. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, that's just the thing. And because Marissa Tomei was in a comedy, uh, and you know, and she won and because she was young and pretty and it was her first nomination, people were like, well, obviously it's gotta be rigged because you can't win for a comedic performance. Right. Right. And yeah, that one's kind of a bummer to me just because like very much putting down her talent. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and on top of it, it was the fucking best supporting performance of that year. She's unbelievable in that movie. It's a great performance. It is an absolute Oscar-worthy performance. She's amazing in, in uh, My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. But yeah. because she was young and pretty, it was her first nomination. And because it was a comedy, they were like, oh, it's got to be wrong. And she was up against, if I'm not mistaken, she was up against like... Like, I, I don't know who the, now we'd have to look it up, uh, like who the nominees were in 1993. But I, but I think like there were like, you know, like British actresses nominated for series, like Howard's End type shit. You know what I mean? Right. And it well, was like, yeah. the and then 90s was. Yeah. And it was like that kind of, those were the, the kind of performances. And there were older, more distinguished, probably British women who were nominated. And for, you know, Marissa Tomei from New York to win for a comedy was like oh well it can't be true and jack palance is old get out of here. yeah so they had uh miranda richardson okay for damage vanessa redgrave right see and then like i just said so that's two british people right joan plowright <laughs> three british <laughs> judy davis not british 
Oh, yes, yes, she is British. Holy fuck, she's British. So all of the other ones were British, except for her. <laughs> all of the other ones were British, except uh, well, for her. Well, Ju- Judy Davis is Australian, but pretty oh, much. Oh, she is Australian. Yes, you're right. She is Australian. You're right. I'm sorry. That's my mistake. She's Australian. But pretty much British. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all of the other ones were nominated for very serious roles. I think Judy Davis was nominated for Husbands and Wives, the Woody Allen movie, um, if I'm not mistaken. Joan Plowright, I think, was nominated for Enchanted April. And if that's right, I'm just such a dork. I'm such a geek. I know Miranda Richardson was not was uh, nominated for for um, for Damage. And then who was the other one? Um, Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave. I can't remember. Which yes. One so, so yeah. Look at those other four. And then of course, you know, here's Marissa Tomei doing a wacky comedy. You know, that has Herman <laughs> Munster in it. Herman Munster's in that fucking movie, and she won the Academy Award. So yeah. And she's better than all four of those women combined. It's a great performance. Yeah, that one always made me mad. It still does. It still makes me mad that people are like, oh, there's no way she won. Shut up. Yeah, because I think to this day, people still call yes. that one out. Yeah, they do. Now, you've seen My Cousin Vinny, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how fucking great and funny is she in that movie? Of course you've seen it. Yeah. You, you had to have seen it because it was another, it was a, that was a Comedy Central regular. for. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, in between. What were some of the other ones? Did you did you? I know that. What was the one? Fatal in? No, what was it? Fatal Instinct? No, Fatal. Fatal. Uh, f- yeah, Fatal Instinct. Fatal Instinct. That was the one with Armand Desante. It was like a yes, a takeoff on my, the. It's it's a uh, part of my favorite. I enjoy the parody. Yeah. Uh, the parody movies. <laughs> right, and that was like Sean Young was in that, right? Wasn't she? Uh huh. Okay, and that was like so. Like so, did you see Spy Hard a lot? Like with Leslie Nielsen, was that another one? No. Oh, okay. Because it was it was Fatal Instinct. Um, <laughs> what was the other ones that they would play? Back in those days, like in the '90s on Comedy Central, PCU yeah. was that another one that they showed? PCU was a big yeah. one that yeah. they would play a lot. Yeah. Um, but like, I love all these parody movies, even though they're not. Some aren't the best. Yeah. But I really enjoy parody movies. I was recently watching Student Bodies. (laughs) That's a fucking great movie. Student Bodies Uh, rules. You got to understand. When did you watch Student Bodies? What was was that? It was on some movie channel. It was that streaming somewhere? Student Bodies is? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love that movie. And you have to understand that when Student Bodies came out, it came out at the height of the slasher genre. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what you got. That's what you got to do when you make a yeah. parody movie, or no one will understand it. And it was, and it literally was. I think it it came out the same weekend as like a Friday the Thirteenth movie. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. that. It was it, it it was right in that wheel. And that movie, I love Student Bodies. There's a. Do you remember the guy, the the gym teacher who was also the uh, the shop teacher in that movie? Do you remember? Yeah, what, he made the wooden horse horsehead book horse. Yes, horse head, horse head bookends. It's the great. It's the greatest thing. It's my favorite running gag in the entire movie. Today we're gonna make horse head bookends, and everybody goes, "Oh God!" Because that's <laughs> all they make, like in every. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you stained it and everything. After like he, after the killer beats somebody to death with a horse head bookend, there's blood on it. He goes, "Oh, I see you made a horse head bookend." <laughs> oh, you stained it and everything. <laughs> I love that movie and the voiceover. I love to kill the kid with the gum when uh, when. He... Yeah, I that. When I watched that movie, I was like, "Yes," because it's 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 perfect. Like that's exactly what I love. So yeah, I didn't watch all the scary movies movies 
You didn't. But have I remember to, the first one being. Oh, the scary! Good. Oh, you mean the scary movie uh, series of movies? Yeah, the, no, the series. First, yeah, the first one. The first one's pretty good. The other ones have, have moments. But yeah. I, rem- I remember the first one being pretty strong. I remember the first one being kind of funny because it, it obviously that was a takeoff on Scream and then a bunch of other movies uh, thrown yeah. in. Yeah, the, I can tell the you this, parody it's... movie genre has unfortunately not been that great. Well, because you know, they started doing all those. Yeah. Um, like the, the ones teen, for not another teen movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah like they yeah. started to get a little disaster movie. They did disaster. Yeah, yeah. there was a period of time in the mid, yeah. the mid aughts, early aughts. Mm-hmm. When there were like a whole, but they were made by the same jagoffs, like the same like three idiots made like yeah. not another yeah. teen movie, and 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 there were also the Wayans brothers made a bunch of because they did like don't drink your juice in the hood or whatever you know you remember that one oh yeah 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 <laughs> don't be a menace right to, to society the, while drinking what, your juice in the hood I believe what the fuck. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Exactly. <laughs> it was terrible, man. Terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hey, do you know that uh, they show? You know what movie that they showed at, the, at midnight at the Music Box recently? Hmm. White Chicks. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> did you go see it? No, no, God, no. <laughs> uh, no, I did not. I mean, they did it as, you know, like on a bunch of people. It was a midnight show, so people had a bunch right. of people and they went and they laughed at it, which is a movie that is like, uh, you know, it was sort of like wrong on every level when it first came out. Mm-hmm. But now, like, like, like a, a couple of uh, African-American guys in whiteface and in drag? Oh my god! Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> Leave it to the Wayans is 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 to do that kind of shit. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, but yeah, there there were there were a, there were a bunch of them in the, in the mid uh, aughts. Yeah, but they they just ruined it, which I makes agree. me sad because I, I love that that genre, but they just they didn't do a good job. Well, when it's it. done right, I mean, like Airplane, I mean, it's one of the greatest comedies oh, of yeah? all time, and that's a full-on yeah. spoof. Have you ever seen um, Zero Hour, the movie that it's based on? Uh, no, I have not. It is a it is like a frame for frame remake of it. Like the plot is the same, the food poisoning, mm-hmm. the whole all that shit is, <laughs> is in the movie. Um, but yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's the granddaddy of them all. I mean, spoof, you know, spoofs have been around for a million years, but I think the best oh, yeah. one, if you were to, yeah. to say, uh, if you were to, to give one example, like an alien came down to earth and the alien asked you, what's the best spoof movie ever made? You'd immediately say airplane. Right. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the godfather of all the it parody is. movies. It is. Absolutely. No question about it. Uh, and a- airplane two, which I believe was also shown on comedy central frequently. I never got to see airplane. Well, I saw parts, bits, and pieces of airplane too. Yeah, it's they, I they think were, it was they, more to. Oh, and uh, uh, you know, Dracula dead and loving it. Oh my god. <laughs> Robin Hood Men in Tights. That was another. That was another Mel Brooks. Yeah. Robin Hood Men in Tights. Dracula dead and loving it. I mean, well, I, well, again, you know what? Actually, you you could. Uh, there's a good argument for saying airplane, but there's a good argument for Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. Those are, yes. oh man, yeah. Yes, they are, but not as, like, exact parody, uh, I think. Yeah, well, I mean. They I mean, have I their know. own, like, I feel like they have their own little thing. Yeah. And it's not like a 
like every joke is a parody because for the most part every joke is a parody type of situation yeah in most of the i i, would, I feel I like would, that's kind of the, I, the marker of a parody movie you have to be, i would agree i would agree with that to a certain extent on blazing saddles but i think young frankenstein is a parody I think it is. I think that one, because it, it's got direct jokes from Bride of Frankenstein and direct jokes from other Universal movies. Uh, so I do, I do think that Young Frankenstein falls under the category of, of, of parody. But Blazing Saddles goes off into another <laughs> a whole other. Right. They make other, it their own. Right? Yeah, yeah, they certainly <laughs> do with the racist jokes and stuff, which uh, I've, I, it's always, it always amazed me. And I think we've talked about this before. It always amazed me that Richard Pryor didn't write any of the, of the black jokes in it. Yeah. You know, Richard Pryor is uh, one of the co-writers, and he was originally supposed mm-hmm. to play uh, the part that Cleavon Little played, but they wouldn't use him because uh, they, there wasn't enough insurance to make sure that he wouldn't, like, OD on the set. When Richard Pryor, oh, good he, Lord. he was too much of an insurance risk. Seriously, he was too much of an You can't hire... Warner Brothers said you cannot hire Richard Pryor because yeah. he was originally supposed to play the part. Then they got Cleavon Little, and, of course, Cleavon Little is amazing in it. But Richard Pryor wrote a bunch of stuff. And for years, I just assumed that Richard Pryor wrote a lot of the race jokes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote all the Mongo jokes. Mm. <laughs> oh, he, he wrote Mongo just, pawn, Mongo just Pawn in Game of Life. That's Richard Pryor wrote that. <laughs> the, punching of the, ho- the Punching of the Horse? Richard Pryor wrote that. <laughs> yeah. None of the black jokes, none of them were written by Richard Pryor. Pryor was like, I don't want to write, you write all those. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, Ru- Rudy and, and Mal, you guys, you write those. Uh, you go ahead and write those. And... Um, He's gonna write. I want. I want. I want to do the Mongo stuff. So he wrote all the Mongo jokes, <laughs> which is amazing. All right, Cameron Diaz. How about this one? Cameron Diaz is a rumor that she will only wash her face with Evian water. Um, I mean, again, that's something that, like, yeah, you could believe it because they're rich people, right? And why right. wouldn't she? Right. And it, and and <laughs> and then uh, Cameron Diaz once said that she washes her face with bottled water. When she's getting ready in her trailer on the set, her reasoning is that the water in the trailers is treated with antifreeze chemicals. Otherwise, she washes her face with regular non-antifreeze water. So when she's in a trailer, she'll wash her face with right. fresher water, which, which, of course, again, makes sense. Exactly. It's, yeah, it, because it's a, a literal trailer. Yeah. You're <laughs> in a trailer. People seem to think, I guess, that trailers are like these very fancy for... At least pe- famous people, like really famous. Yeah. They're very, very fancy, but they're literal, like just Winnebago's. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And so the watering, you know, the water system, the, the filtering system in a fucking Winnebago is not all that strong. So, and, yeah. but, but again, it's easy to go, oh my God, she's a diva because she only washes her face when she's at home. She goes through 50 gallons of Evian water. So it's easy to go through exactly. that. Exactly. Did you know? I mean, I've had people, I've had people, um, I was filling one of those like Keurig things and someone was like, are you, you're not going to fill it with bottled water. I'm like, the tap water is fine. Like what's yeah. wrong with you? It's going to boil anyway. Yeah, so yeah, so people, weird, yeah, people get all weird about it. But then if they hear that, they're like, Oh, she's yeah. highfalutin. And yeah. it's like, well, I mean, yeah, but when you hear the whole so. story, when you hear <laughs> like if it's a headline, it's like Cameron Diaz washes face in Evian. You're like, oh, man, what a rich jerk. You know what I mean? Right. But then yeah. when you hear when she's on location in a trailer where there's no running water, then you go, oh, she's not an asshole. She's just, you know, doesn't want to screw up her skin. <laughs> it's like I would do that, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. By the way, did you here's something that do you know how much money Cameron Diaz, you know, Cameron Diaz is kind of semi retired. Yeah, it's been a long mm-hmm. time since she's, she's made a movie. 
And quite yeah. frankly, I'm fine with that. I'm not a big Cameron Diaz <laughs> fan. Um, but do you know how much she made for Bad Teacher? No. She made, the back end on that movie, she made $43 million on that movie. Oh, wow. I mean. Did it? I mean, it was was it it was popular. I don't. I've seen it. it, She, I I think she took a. I think she made. She only made a million for her salary. You know, of Mm. course. But she was like, "I'm going to take. I want." And she got an unprecedented cut. I think she got twenty percent of the profits. So she she negotiated twenty percent of the profits, and the movie did okay. It did it did well. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like there's something about Mary. It wasn't like a massive hit. But it, it did solid enough for her to make a total of $42 million in terms of, like, profits. And that means original box office. That means DVD release. That means cable rights, all that stuff. She made $42 million on that one movie. Yeah. And it's a piece of I shit. Mean, good for her. <laughs> no, good for her. Hey, man, good for her. Absolutely good for her. Uh, make your the, money. Yeah, but the movie's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. So bad. All right. Oh, and it's got Justin Timberlake in it. It does have the JTs in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when back when they were uh, a thing. Yeah. When they were uh, when they were when they were uh, an item. Yeah, it's got the Timberlake in it. It's got a, it's got a good. It's other people are in it who are good. Um, mm-hmm. but it gets it's just not good. And then they made a TV series out of it. Uh, yes. And I can't remember who played the part, but they but they did make a TV series out of it. So yeah, uh, I don't think it was. It wasn't her. It definitely wasn't. No, it wasn't her. But I don't think it was a. Was it a woman? I think it was. Uh, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it was on CBS. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Do we know who was in it? Does it say most shows it? are terrible on CBS? Yeah. Uh, Ari Grainer. Ari Grainer. Oh, um. I don't know who that is. She was in um. I'm dying up here. She was. She's been oh. in a bunch of oh, other stuff, yeah, yeah, but she yeah, was yeah. in. Um, okay. Yeah, I that know was. She, she was kind of. Freed. I know exactly. Yep, I know exactly who she is. I like her. Yeah, she's good. Uh, but I never watched the TV series. But yeah, forty-two, forty-three million dollars on one movie. Mm, There's a re- you know. Her. Yeah, she never has to work again, and she hasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right, you got another one here on the weird uh, celebrity rumors. Um, I also this one's I mean it's so morbid uh, that Katy Perry is secretly John Benet Ramsey. I, it's so creepy. Like I, leave that little girl alone. Dang. I don't. Uh, well, what's the explanation for this one? Tell me what. what... I mean, essentially, because I guess she kind of looks like her. Yeah. I mean, there's really no like I don't even think Katy Perry ever did. Uh, well, it, it TV says... or um like child pageants no she didn't i don't i wouldn't understand why i don't think she did but but it says here katie perry was six years older than john benet and yeah. uh, <laughs> at the time of her death and also katie perry lived in california and the ramsey family uh, lived in colorado so there's no connection but somehow this started like katie perry is secretly john benet ramsey who the hell would start that yeah that's again they're like kind of creepy yeah i mean I, I mean, I guess just from sight, she looks like her. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So, but then suddenly, again, someone in a in a room all alone decides, uh, you know what? Let's just start this rumor that Katy Perry is John Benet Ramsey. Yeah. So stupid. Oh God. 
It's so stupid. All right, now this one I remember from growing up because I was a Kiss fan when I was growing up in the mm-hmm. 70s. The rumor is that Gene Simmons had a cow tongue grafted onto his tongue to make it extra long. And that I told... would be so difficult to do. <laughs> yeah, but I remember that went around school. That totally went around school when I was, you know, when everybody was a Kiss fan in the 70s, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I was a huge Kiss fan, you know, and then I got pubic hair. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm not so much, <laughs> much of a Kiss fan anymore because uh, puberty happened. Uh, but, yeah, the fact is he was born with that tongue and there was no surgery. And there was also the other one was that um, not only did was there a rumor that there was a cow tongue mm-hmm. that he had grafted, but also he clipped. He had surgically the, the, the piece of skin that holds your tongue underneath. Uh-huh. He had that clipped so that he could stick the, his tongue out longer. Right. So you know that piece of skin that connects yeah. your tongue. Yeah. To the... Um. I th- I believe if you clip that, you can then not use your tongue. Really. That would be my guess. That yeah. kind of like runs yeah. the tongue. Yeah. But that was the other rumor. You know, it was like, oh, his tongue is so long that he had this thing clipped, and then when you know people were like, well, that's horseshit. They're like, well, it's a cow tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one that I'll never forget as well. It's not on here because it's not about a celebrity. Mm-hmm. But I I remember this. I remember this specifically, and this will date how old I am. In the 70s, when the King Tut exhibit came through, you know, and toured mm-hmm. America, it was so popular, obviously, that Steve Martin made a song about it. Speaking of parody, yeah. Steve Martin made yeah. a parody song about King Tut. So in the 70s, I want to say it was 76 or something like that, maybe? Mm-hmm. 75, 76. It came through town, came through the field here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we went on a school uh, a, a trip. Uh, to to Field Museum uh, on a field trip to see the King Tut exhibit. And after we were done with the King Tut exhibit, obviously, as you know, every time you go to a museum and the exhibit, when the exhibit is done, it leads you right into the gift shop. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so they, you buy a bunch of shit, you know? Yeah. And so we went into the gift shop, and we were waiting for all the class to show up and the teacher to gather everybody together to do a head count to, before we got on the bus to get back to school. And so they were like, yeah, go ahead and shop around in the gift shop. And so I went up and I got um, a package of bubble yum bubble gum. Now, you know bubble yum, right? <laughs> was it, was it uh, King Tut themed? No, it was not. No, no, no. I mean, this, this was just at the gift shop at the, at the, at the register. It was like your basic, right. you know, it was yeah. your basic impulse p- purchase. You know what I mean? Oh, I'll get, while I'm getting a King Tut keychain, I'll get a thing of bubble, right. bubble gum. So I got Bubble Yum, and Bubble Yum was new in the 70s. It's been around mm-hmm. for a very long time. But back in 75-ish, around that time, it was brand new. And it was, it was different because it was soft. The gum was soft, and it wasn't in sticks, you know? And it was in a big sort of square. You know what Bubble Yum is. Yeah. But back in those days, that was new. That was brand new. You know, mostly Bubble Gum was either in a, in a ball that you would get out, mm-hmm. of a, out of a gumball machine, or it was in sticks, you know, like your Juicy Fruit or your Big Red or whatever. But these were like big, soft, you know, squares. And it was weird. And everybody loved it. And everybody was obsessed with it. We kids were obsessed. It was brand new. We were buying it like crazy. And they were, you know, and, and people were. So I, I get a package of bubble yum. And my friend says, hey, man, you can't buy that. You shouldn't buy that. And I go, what are you talking about? And he said, don't you know, man? Bubble yum is made with spider eggs. <laughs> I go, what? Sure. What? He's like, yeah, man, because it had because when you first well, ate these bubble- spider eggs are delicious. Yeah, but when you first <laughs> ate it, when you when bubble yum first came on, it had a weird texture. It had kind of a little bit of a poppy, crunchy texture to it. 
mm-hmm. and it was on seriously like the big soft square thing with the crunchy texture. It was unlike any bubble gum ever at that time. And so yeah. uh, obviously people had to make up an excuse as to why it was so good. <laughs> so the rumor went around that it was made spider with eggs. spider eggs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look that up, Esmeralda. If you Google bubble yum spider eggs, it will pop up. Mm-hmm. And it was it spread like wildfire. And for years, not just in Chicago, but around the country, everybody got to the point where, I, if I'm not mistaken, bubble yum had to take out an ad a national ad saying that our gum is not made with spider eggs. It does not have spider. Like they literally had to take it. Now with no spider eggs. Now with no spider. (laughs) Seriously. They literally, it got so bad. The rumor got so ridiculous that they had to actually take out an ad and say, we do not make bubble yum with spider eggs. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's on Snopes. I think it's so big that Snopes had like four or five little links and stories about how huge. Yeah. And ridiculous, the, the rumor power of power of children's imagination. Yeah. But I'll never forget it because the first time I ever heard it was when we went to see King Tut at Field Museum. That was the first <laughs> time I ever heard Bubble Yum was made with spider eggs. Mm-hmm. And I believe after I bought the spider eggs, uh, we did have a conversation about Gene Simmons' tongue being a cow. Of so course. That all came about. As you chewed your... Well, so you chewed it. You ate it, right? Of course I did. Yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, you could have been like, oh, no, what? Well, you know me, Esmeralda. Anything weird or or horror related, I'm into it. I'm like, spider eggs, shit, I'll eat them. You know what I mean? See, it also could have been a way to get your gum. A way what? way to get your gum. That kid, like, you know, spider eggs. I'll take it off your hands, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, You know, um, I'm not allergic to spider eggs. A lot of people are. I don't mind the spider eggs. Yeah. But yeah, no, but they, if I'm not mistaken, they, they like the company, I can't remember what gum company it was that made Bubble Yum at that time, but they literally had to take out an ad and go, hey, uh, you want to stop saying that our gum is made from spider eggs, please? <laughs> I guess it put a dent into sales because people were like, ooh. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Because it was something new and weird. And often, you know, you got you to gotta knock that down a peg. So Yeah. Anyway. All right. You don't, you don't remember the spider eggs uh, 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 thing? At all, Esmeralda? No? No? Nope. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of candy, maybe with spider eggs in it, look and see how I segue. Oh. See how I segue? Um, We have this uh, bag of, uh, we each have a bag of Mexican candy we uh, purchased. Uh, Mm -hmm. And please, please say the name of the candy store because it sounds so beautiful when it comes out of your mouth and it sounds like idiocy when it comes out of mine. Uh, So it's called Dulcelandia, which is Candyland. Right. It sounds so much. It sounds so much cooler when you say it. You know what I mean? Like than just some like white jagoff like me going Candyland or Lucia Land, Lucia Land, Lucha Lucha Luchador. That's all I know. So, those, those are wrestlers, by the way. So as you know, um, so we have a couple that we're going to try here. Yes, pieces of candy. Which one should we do first? Um, let's do the. So let's do the one that looks like a candy. So super Rapper. Nutella, Nutella. So I, that yes. one actually, I mean, this one I think is pretty self-explanatory, right? With the title, yeah. So um, it's uh, um, almond or not almond? Sorry, pecan flavored mm-hmm. toffee. Mm, okay. So yeah, it's a pretty straightforward candy. <laughs> and is this popular? Was it, is this popular in uh, in in your was it, was this popular in your household growing up? Oh, not really. No. Mm, okay. 
All right, so this is a uh, Super Nutella almond flavor. Oh, hmm. so make sure there's a piece of oh. plastic wrapping around Oh, my around God, it, so. yes, there is. <laughs> right, there is. There's Not part of, of the candy. <laughs> Not part of the candy. <laughs> I was going to say, this has a pretty plastic taste to it. <laughs> okay, that's so good. This is like a caramel, like a, a Werther's, like a soft Werther's. Yeah, it's really good. Um, But it's pecan-flavored. It's mm-hmm. quite pecan. It is. If you like pecan... It's got that Whirler's caramel texture. Mm-hmm. And a bit of that taste on the back end, but it's full-on almond. Oh, yeah. Pecan. It's good. It's good. Okay. Pecan. Pecan. Yeah, pecan. All right, now this next thing... Boy, that's good. <clears throat> now, this next thing is just a little orange... Little teeny shallow tub, and it's covered. So this in, is essentially, this is just tamarind. <laughs> oh, that's all it is. It's just tamarind. Um, so they're called in Spanish. They're essentially called like little jars. Um, yeah. in Spanish that would uh, be translated ollitas. Mm-hmm. Olla is is a jar, so because they're little, so just ollitas de tamarindo. So it's just oh, okay. little jars of tamarind. And, and then, then you this peel is the, kind you of peel, the, the, the ready-to-go version. You peel the plastic off, and it kind of sticks to it, and you can eat the... And then what do you do? Just suck it out of the Yeah, thing? you just eat it. No. All right. Oh, that's good. So you're just sweet tamarind. It is. But again, what, as we've discovered the last time we did this, is that the sweet and savory thing is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And it's good. We love our we love our tamarind. Oh man, really good. Okay, cool. All right. Well, those were both a home run. This is actually cool. a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's a lot of work. This damn thing. And it is. You peel. But the I guess thing that way it lasts. Gonna, it does. It's an interesting way to eat it. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we got to we'll, we'll post a couple of pictures up on our Instagram page there the, for the Nick D podcast. Yeah. Um, so there you go. And, and you know, I, I, one thing I know for sure, no spider eggs in these candies at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all it's right. set on the label. so Not yeah. a, No spider eggs at all. That's right. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, you should look that up, Esmeralda. Look, up, uh, look it up on Snopes. It's a pretty hilarious story, the whole spider eggs thing. Ridiculous. <laughs> so, all right. Well, listen, uh, thanks for that. And, and Esmeralda, thank you for, uh, for, for uh, hanging out with us today, as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see you next time. And uh, my thanks to uh, Eric and uh, Steve for the movie reviews, uh, for you guys for listening. Uh, you want to be a part of the Nick D podcast, voicemail us, email us with anything you want. 773-417-6948, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. You want to be a sponsor, contact sales at radiomisfits.com. My thanks to Ed, everybody at Radio Misfits, Jason Skaggs for all the sound and the audio and the cool stuff. Next time, the lovely Amy Guth will be my guest. Nice. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, her continued screenwriting. She did, went on another road trip, and we'll talk about her her podcast, The Daily Gist, as well. So Amy Guth lovely. joining us the next time. So that's very cool. And don't forget to get your tickets March 28th, Rich Coe slash Sven Gulli live with us on stage, rosemont.zanies.com. Uh, get those tickets now. All right, Esmeralda, thanks. Thank and, you. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.